Hello and welcome to the Chris Wolf Podcast on iCode Media. Today I had a great conversation with Dr. Michelle Andrews and Dr. Perry Lopez about this idea of rethinking and reinventing our practices post-COVID and then using tools like Stop, Start, and Continue in ways that we can look at all the different areas in our practices, both large scale and small scales, in, in ways that we can make sure that we're delivering effective care to our patients in ways that they want that care to be delivered. So I think it was a great conversation that will kind of stimulate me and has stimulated me to think about our practice in particular and how we're, we are going to um, run our practice and serve our patients beyond all of this COVID stuff in a, in a way that meets their needs, but also matches how we want to, how we want to practice. And so please enjoy our conversation. I thought it was a great one. As always, be sure to subscribe to the podcast, give us a five-star review, share it with your friends, and support those who support us. Well, Perry and Michelle, you know, what I mainly wanted to, to kind of have and pick your brains about is for the last... 10, 11 weeks, really almost the last three months now, we've been in the process in our practices, kind of thinking through how to make it, really make it through this COVID process intact as a practice. And then also kind of starting to, how do we open up safely? And when I say open up, I hate that term because it implies that we weren't actually taking care of our patients during this time. And, and that's not true as you know, Perry and Michelle, but, um, but we've kind of gone through that process of how do we uh, reinvite more patients into our practice for more comprehensive care in a safe way. Now what I'd really like to be able to focus on, and I think a lot of our practices are focusing on this idea of how can we hit the ground running? What are some of the things that we can do so that we can transform the, our practices and maybe even kind of hone in on the things in our practices that we wish we could have done for years. To me, this seems like a perfect opportunity to reinvent ourselves or really get back to what we love doing about, about our practices. So that's what I want to have a conversation with about. Um, so Perry, you know, you and I have, have talked about this a number of times, but um, you know, what would you say in terms of, of the things that we can do in general to start sort of refocus our efforts to get back to yeah. the stuff that we wanted to do. Yeah. Well, you know, Chris, I think where I would start is um, just to acknowledge that, you know, we're, you know, ramping up, if you will, um, at varying stages, state by state, right? So people all over the country are listening to you and just acknowledge that we are at somewhat different stages of this. Um, not by months, certainly, but by weeks, for sure. Um, you know, what we're allowed to do and when and at what volume is definitely different from state to state. So, so with that um, said, um, I was talking to a business consultant friend of mine the other day. He's a, a small business consultant in general, not just for eye care, but um, he, he really put this into um, kind of three categories. And, and so I think knowing where you're starting from is always the first step. And, and so um, he, he kind of, called this or coined this the era of re re the prefix re mm -hmm. which is again or sometimes again and again depending mm -hmm. on how how quickly we need to adapt right um so the three re's are we we really need to reboot right so then secondly we need to rethink and lastly we need to reinvent and so 
you know, the reboot phase is really, you know, the gee, I, I'm, I'm about to start ramping up, right? I, I need to start doing things differently. That's more of a realization and what are the, just the basics I need to do to reboot with, you know, PPP and, um, you know, just some of the basic things that we all know we've been doing. And then, and then the rethink stage is kind of the realization that, my Lord, I, it, other than just getting re, reopened, if you will, right, because of the new rules, you know, I, I may have to do business differently, right? So spend some time rethinking how I'm going to have to do biz, business differently. And, and all businesses will go through this. Industry by industry, it'll vary probably, right? Which is great why we're talking here about our industry. But um, the, the last phase is the reinvent phase. That's where, that's the action plan phase, right? So that's yep. where, you know, we really are going to start doing that. So that's what you're talking about is hitting that ground running. And some states certainly are there already, but, but some are, are not quite. Yeah. And I think, um, so if we think about that, the, um, the idea of reinventing, you know, there's this kind of core that we do in our practices that probably shouldn't and will not go away. But um, there is this other idea of when we are reinventing ourselves, maybe not even just, you know, because some people think, well, I just, I'm like, I don't have the time to reinvent, but how can I pick the pieces or the things in my practice that I can reinvent that actually will be better? So Michelle, do you have any, any ideas about, about that or, or Perry, any ideas about that? So I think, I think Chris and, and Perry, where, where I would suggest that people start is I think where most people always start with their business is they focus on the customer. And what are the things that are most important to my customer right now? And I think in, in today's uh, time, right, in our, in our new normal, the things that our customers are telling us that are important to them are the things I think go into that rebuilding phase um, that Perry's talking about. So for example, a lot of the insights that we're paying attention to is are customers likely to come back into the practice? And they're saying yes, uh, particularly we're focused on our contact lens customers. Are they interested in coming back? Are they, do they want to wear their contact lenses? And what would be the reasons that they wouldn't wear their lenses or wouldn't come back to the practice? Um, and so the insights that we're hearing is they, they do want to wear their lenses. They do want to come back into practice and they need some reassurance from us that both of those things are safe to do. And so where I would start is, is looking at those, those particular insights and then communicating with our customers in a way that validates those needs first and foremost. Perry, I really love what you said about the phases of, of, of that. Ours, ours, we only had two, two re's um, in our phases at Cooper Vision. We had a, a protect phase that we started with, like, okay, let's hunker down and make sure that our associates are okay, our customers are okay, and what are those immediate things that we need to do? And, and we took care of those through some term extensions and all of that. Um, our second phase is a rebuild phase. And in that rebuild phase, we're paying very close attention to what our customers are telling us. And that's where I would encourage um, eye care professionals to go first is, is what is first and foremost on the minds of your customers and, and take care of those things. The reignite phase, that fun part that comes next, and you think about tapping into all the things that you wanted to do, or what are those other things that we can add to our practice, that will come. Uh, but certainly um, all of our um, information that we're getting and the insights that we're getting is people are focusing still a little bit more on the what do I have to do now 
to mm-hmm. feel good about doing what I want to do and what I've always done. Well, and that really plays well into Perry, your, yours and my conversation about this idea of what start, stop and continue, right? And so that's another way to implement at a very high level new things in general that you want to do. Um, or, and then also at a, as a, at a specific level about reevaluating the things that you're currently doing. Um, and even just at one of those big idea points into something that's very small. And so, um, so I guess with that, you know, from a, from a contact lens patient standpoint, if we were going to, first of all, Perry, you can describe, cause you probably describe it better. The, the start, stop, continue. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, you know, and just a, a quick comment, uh, a feed off of Michelle's uh, point, which is really incredibly well taken, right, is that we really need to start with our customer slash patient, really, what focus on them, what do they want now, compared to what they wanted before. And, and I think if we start running ahead a little bit into our reboot, rethink, reinvent phases, right, those are fairly practice centric, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. to some degree, and, and you maybe need to catch yourself a little bit to step back and say, well, wait a minute, what about, what about me? What about the patient? You know, don't forget about me. And so, Michelle, I would say that, that that's where we as small business people, small business owners, really, really rely on companies, our vendor partners like CooperVision to provide that information for us because we certainly don't have the R&D teams to know what that is. We might intuitively or instinctively know what that is. We or think we think we do, but, but it's great to get confirmation, right? Um, it, it, and once in a while we get, we'll get an outlier that, that surprises us. And, and so that, that, that's where we really need to step back and think a little harder, but, but you know, it is even good to get that confirmation that you have the data to back up that what we think the patient wants is correct. And so we're gonna be able to view that from the contact lens perspective with your company, but we are sort of in many business channels, if you will, under one business industry umbrella. You know, our, our, our labs might tell us that their research shows patients want something slightly different, right? Uh, our frame vendors might tell us that patients want something slightly different from, from their research perspective. So, you know, we need to assimilate all that. And where there are commonalities, those are slam dunks, right? We just need to do those. But, but we may need to think of it in a little narrower view in each of those little segments of our, of our practice. Well, that's interesting, Perry, and it's not something I've, I've really thought about too much, but I think, you know, Michelle, when, when we're gonna blend what we think our patients want and what you're finding out our patients want, first of all, is there any insight that you can provide over the last few months that you're, you're gaining from not just the doctors that you're working with, but also our patients? that can help us understand what they're looking for in terms of safety protocols and, you know, those sorts of things. Um, absolutely. And, and again, most of, of what I'll share with you is specific to contact lenses, but I, I do think that there will be some commonalities that you can apply across your practice. Cause Perry, I completely, I completely hear you and, and understand that, that you've got you know, an entire business um, entity to look at. Um, one thing that we are getting from, from our insights and our research is that um, contact lens wearers are ready to come back to practice. Um, contact lens wearers typically are in a slightly younger demographic than some of the higher risk profiles that we were seeing and, and with COVID. And so a lot of um, contact lens patients are saying we're ready to come back. 
Um, and what they're looking for is um, reassurance that the experience in the office will be um, a safe experience. And so one of the things I think is really important is how practices communicate, how they're preparing, and how they've prepared their practices um, so that patients um, feel comfortable coming back. Um, the other thing that we're hearing from our contact lens wearers is that they have taken a little bit of a break from contact lens wear. Um, what is probably wouldn't surprise you, so maybe this is a reaffirming data point, um, is that sometimes when people stay home and they don't have social activities to go to or they don't have people to see at work, uh, they rely more on their spectacles. Um, but what they're telling us is that they expect their wearing behavior to go back to normal very quickly. And so uh, what they're looking for is uh, reassurance and confidence that that's a safe thing to do. Um, and so I think we're very well equ equipped to educate them on how to do that. And, and, and we've certainly been sharing information and I know you've been sharing that um, with your patients. Um, some of the reasons that they gave um, for not returning or not wearing their contact lenses are all temporary. And I think things that we can overcome. Uh, with education. So this, this bit about hygiene or other concerns that they have, I think those are um, important things that we, can, that we can do and take care of. Um, and then finally, um, one of the things that um, uh, we have learned is that most of the contact lens patients are saying that they're going to come back to practice. So over, I'm looking at my notes here, um, over 70% of contact lens patients say they intend to come back within the first two months of when they're able to come back to a practice. And so it's interesting to, to look at that. That's um, important information because it's, you can proactively reach out to your contact lens patients and in that communication, let them know not only that you're open, um, but that um, here's what they can expect when they come in, why contact lenses are safe, and, that you're, and here are the things that you potentially put in place to, to reaffirm and reassure them um, as they come back into the practice. Michelle, I missed, I missed the, the point about when they expect to come back into the practice. There was a little delay uh, in, in the, in the, um, the Wi-Fi. Oh, sure. So 70% of contact lens patients, based on our research, are saying they intend to come back into the optometrist practice within two months of when they're able to come back. Okay. And so that, I think that's a, a first of all, I think that's very positive. Um, but also gives us some insight into where we can invest time and how to communicate with our patients as we're looking to, to bring people back to the practice. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, and I think that actually brings up another point that I've been thinking about a lot is, is during the, the really kind of tight, um, I'll call them restrictions, but, but obviously just our, our, our uh, efforts to try to quell this spread of this virus by managing patients who are urgent and emergent and also being able to extend our services out into say telehealth and, um, and even extending some contact lens prescriptions. You know, I, I, I know we're going to probably open a can of worms with this, but I think Perry, um, one of the things when I think about that is that it's important that it really should come back down to the doctor patient relationship and, and the physician should do what they think is the best thing to do for their patients in those specific circumstances. Um, but now if people are expecting to come back in within two months, Michelle, and maybe we've extended their contact lens prescriptions by three months, or maybe even, you know, made, made the judgment that we wanted to extend it for a year. 
I guess, Perry, Michelle, any, any thoughts or ideas on how we get those patients back in, let them know that what we provided for them wasn't necessarily a comprehensive eye exam, but was just an extension during a, you know, a, a pandemic where, you know, in order to, to serve their, their needs better. Well, you know, Chris, um, you, you mentioned, you know, the possibility of opening a can of worms. And I think what you're referring to is what have been our contact lens replenishment policies within our office, right? Without an exam, extending, potentially extending a prescription due to extenuating circumstances, right? Mm -hmm. So we all have had those extenuating circumstances where a patient just says, hey, just due to a life circumstance, I cannot get in at 12 months or 13 months. And I'm out of lenses and I really need these lenses, doctor and, and contact lens technician. You know, what, what will you allow me to do? this time, right? We're, we're all used to that on a day-to-day -day basis. And hopefully we have written and well understood policies for all the staff on what our own practices rules are regarding that. And there's where it is doctor involvement, not every single encounter, but, but doctor involvement on what the policy is and why, and doctor involvement on communicating that to staff so that it gets down to the patient level consistently, right? So, yeah, no, I just look at, I look at this a lot like, uh, you know, I, I actually don't look at this any differently than a glaucoma patient or a patient who has ocular surface disease that we're controlling with medication. You know, uh, one of the things that from a state government relations committee standpoint, we've seen some states try to actually change regulation through executive order or change reg regulation or propose different legislation. And, and I think that is a, a complete mistake because, because from all the, the, regulations that I've seen within our practice practice acts across the country, we have the authority to extend those based on individual circumstances. And so, um, you know, you might have a patient that, uh, that instead of, that they may be well controlled on a glaucoma medication and they were supposed to be back uh, last month for whatever that interval was. And then you get a, a request for a refill and you decide that, look, I'm, I can't not give them, right? I, in this case, if, if I don't, they, they, they might not have an opportunity to, to come back in or they may be uncontrolled. And so I might give them a one month supply of their medication. Right. But then on that, we're going to make sure that that's going to trigger a phone call to the patient where uh, maybe we set up a, a telehealth visit where I can view them like this and actually pick their brains and look at their eyes and, and at least get some semblance of, of how they're doing so that we can, we can stay in contact and communication with them. Um, and then and then rescheduling them for the time that we actually think is going to be uh, an opportunity for us to to see them in person for the other testing and and things that we can't do remotely. For sure, but the the thing is when when you so you have a consistent plan and policy in place, right, for your Correct. glaucoma patients, right, and transferring that over to the contact lens world. I agree, they're absolute analogs, but it, it kind of makes the point that. With, whether we know it or not, we all are training our patients. We train them with every encounter. And we can train their good habits or we can train their bad habits. And so the more consistently that we can show them the good habits in staying adherent to their glaucoma medications or disposing of their lenses on the frequency that, they, that we prescribe, um, the more that they not only hear that but experience that every time they have an office encounter, the better. So the the question to me with, with this COVID um, world that we're living in and have lived in under the quote unquote lockdown for the last several months is 
you know, many practices have made exceptions to those policies that yeah. we've had, right? And so we just need to be careful that and, and communicate that those are indeed exceptions and we train them that this was an exception and everyone would understand that under these circumstances, but just not let those exceptions become our, our new policy, yeah. right? But, yeah. but that's, that said, you, you make a great point, Chris, is it, you know, really should likely make us, you know, rethink and, and reinvent what we would do to authorize an extension. So you're entering into the world of telehealth visits, which perhaps a year or two ago, we wouldn't yeah. have had this discussion, right? So yeah. has that made us look at this and say, wow, we should have probably been doing this a while already, but we were too busy to notice. And now because we were forced into doing this, this actually could become our, our consistent policy. We're just implementing that policy slightly differently. Well, yeah, and, and it can also, I mean, you can, if, if again, I, I, I really like your idea and I almost want to, so we can expand upon these ideas in that same methodology is the start, stop, continue, mm -hmm. um, is that in this contact lens patient, right? Because we're sort of, what you and I are talking about is sort of building this new way of thinking as we, as we reinvent ourselves into this new world is so okay now well, one of the things that we've started in this is in our practice is we can have these communications face to face via telehealth and yet another thing that we've really kind of ramped up so we're continuing but at a different level is this ability for patients to uh, purchase their contact lenses for example through a portal on our website or through an app that's giving them notifications on their phone so so it, for us it wasn't something that we started it was something we've been doing for a couple of years, but it, it was something that was definitely played into our ability to serve our patients and meet them what, where they wanted to be. And so, so for that, I guess, because I've jumped ahead a little bit, Perry, because I'd love you for you to kind of explain this start-stop sure. yeah. model. Yeah. And then I think we, that it will allow us to kind of take, take all these concepts through that, that filter. Yeah, yeah. So, so business processes are something that have just always been uh, near and dear to me in, in running uh, my practices. And so um, a number of years ago, I actually had an associate doc uh, who was also a personal friend of mine um, bring to our practice from a, from a practice he was in prior, um, a business team building sort of check-in exercise called Start, Stop, Continue. So if you just Google Start, Stop, Continue, you'll discover you know, maybe to our surprise because we're doctors and not business people, but it, it's a very common technique used in the business world. And so the, the way that it works is um, you, you pick a topic, you pick a subject. So it could be small, it could be very all encompassing. So let's just apply in, in this case um, that, that we're, we're going to make the topic um, contact lens replenishment. Mm hmm. How do we how do we re replenish contact lenses? Okay, first again we need to know where we've been. So what have we been doing, right? Mm -hmm. So so then if we put that up there, we would like the input of all of our team members, right? Because again, to get that consistent message to the patient, that consistent um, activity with the patient, we we really have to have the staff on board. And as we all know, our staffs will help support better what they've helped create. So if they well, could, and I can't yeah. tell you how many times that I've had, you know, a great idea that I bring it to the staff and, and, the, and if they, they just shoot holes in it because it's, right. it's, it's like, well, that won't work because of this and this won't work because of that. And it's like, oh, well, 
I guess I didn't think of that because you're doing this stuff all day long and I'm not the expert in this. So it brings them into that process development standpoint. That's why I like it so much. Yeah. Well, as, and as a group, right? Because it, you know, there, there gets to be some group interaction in this. So the idea might be with contact lens replenishment, we might just say, well, who's involved in that? And, and our knee jerk reaction might be, well, it's the contact lens technician or my lead technician. They're the ones who get those calls deferred to them. However, you know, what, you know, what message or what instructions the person who's in taking that call, you know, they, they've got a say in this process. And the, so, so we all kind of affect each other as, I guess I would call them internal customers, coworkers, mm. right? So are we really serving our internal customers or our coworkers well by making their job easier by what we're doing as well? So anyone really, if you think about it, can have some sort of vantage point or viewpoint into contact lens replenishment. So the idea is you gather your entire team, not just the micro team around contact lenses that might be apparent. Um, and, and then on a whiteboard, you can just draw three columns. On the left, you've got the heading column start. In the middle, you've got the heading stop. And on the right, you've got the heading continue. And so at the very top above those three columns, you've got the title contact lens replenishment. Okay, so team, Let's all take some post-it notes. You hand out post-it notes. And I would like you to think about what we currently do regarding contact lens replenishment. And, you know, maybe even what we've done during this lockdown process. Mm. Let, let's expand our thinking a little bit. Yep. And then now let's each of us from our perspective and our, our, our viewpoint in this practice, in your opinion, write down on a post-it note an item you think we should start doing that we have never done before or, or an item that we should stop doing because it's no longer relevant. It's no longer effective or an item that you think we've been doing and you know what we should continue doing because it's working well. And not everyone has to come up with all three. You come up with them as the spirit sort of moves you or as the idea ideas come to you. But then once people are about done, then they take their post-it note and they put it in the appropriate column, the start, stop, or keep column. And there's where we start the group discussion, right? Of the items that we should start doing, the items that we should stop doing, the items that we should keep doing. The one that you develop consensus on very quickly, those are pretty easy, right? Just to make the decisions. And then the ones that require a little more debate, and if there perhaps isn't full agreement, but both sides have merit, you can move that um, post-it note on the line between the two columns. In other words, if it's something that someone feels very adamant we should start doing, but uh, there's a, another camp that says, yeah, maybe not, and we're seeing both sides, we could say, well, let's do a trial for, say, two or three months. You're in charge of it. You feel very passionate about it. Let's have you spearhead that. So it also, this exercise also helps with delegation. Um, and so um, why don't we test that item, and then let's regroup and do this again and reexamine and if indeed it works as well as you believe it will, boy, then that moves over to the continue column. Now we can start thinking about, could we even tweak it to make it better? But on the other hand, if it didn't quite pan out the way you had envisioned and we all agree to that, okay, then we move it over to the stop column. We're not going to do that anymore. So, so you could just keep doing this exercise over and over again. I mean, frankly, if, for offices that have weekly team meetings or monthly team meetings, you, you could make this part of your ongoing agenda um, it, you could, you could put a different item at the top every time. And, and that could be, that could, you, you're effectively writing your employee operations manual that way, right? 
Well, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. yeah. And, and now's the time. I mean, I think, I think the, in, in any of these things, I start thinking about things like, okay, well, maybe we didn't do myopia control or we did myopia control, but we didn't do it to the level that we could have done it before. Or now we're going to use a, a different, um, you know, a, a newer uh, product that, that can do things better than what we could have in the past. Or, um, you know, uh, we were making everybody decide to um, purchase or have to purchase their contact lenses via phone call or, um, or when they're in our practice. And so in doing that, we might've given a certain discount for an annual supply or given them a pair of sunglasses for an annual supply. And so all those things I think right now, you know, it's a perfect time to look at the way your practice is and think about uh, all the things that you're doing on a, on a, on that same level and, and really pushing yourself to where you want to be. You know, I see Perry and I love your, your perspective on this. And I'm not sure. Sometimes I feel like Jerry Maguire when I, when I say this stuff, but um, you know, one of the things that I've come out of all of this with is, is this idea of, I really just want to take care of the patients that really want me to take care of them. And in that it, it what that means is, you know, look, that means that, um, I'm going to serve the patients that, and, and I, I have seen some people kind of talk about, well, we're going to grade, you know, patients, the patients that have been loyal for years. I, I don't, I don't really like that. I think that you can get to that point of, of taking care of the patients that want to take care of them, want you to take care of them in the sense of like, okay, well, maybe I don't need to take this vision plan anymore, or maybe I'm not going to, um, I'm not going to spend my time doing, taking on new quote unquote routine patients, whatever that word means. Right. And, um, and I'm going to focus on my efforts on growing my myopia control practice. And in doing that, I'm going to be able to spend more time with those patients uh, and less time kind of spinning my wheels, doing other things. And, and yet, and it's not a bad decision. It's just a different decision. Some people might decide, look, um, I want to grow my practice in this other way. You know, I'm going to be more efficient at seeing patients. And so since I, since I want to minimize my time with a patient and still maximize that, that patient's ability to move through my practice, well, I'm going to, I'm going to do everything I can possibly do, whether it's a, let's say an optos or history or an OCT or a refraction, right? All these procedures, they're all going to be done non-face-to-face. And I'm going to literally come in and see a patient within five, five to 10 minutes face-to-face and then I'm out and I'm out the door, but all that time I'm, I'm delivering a very high level of care to my patients without having to spend as much time with each individual patient, which gives me larger access to a, a greater pool. And so those are just some of the things that I've really been thinking about that practices could do that could take a totally different approach to how they're reinventing themselves in a way that still serves their patients uh, effectively. Well, you know, um, in talking to some of my colleagues here locally in Indiana, um, we're fairly far along. We're in about week four, depending on when someone decided to, or maybe close to week five into Mm -hmm. back to getting toward the new normal patient care, which for starters was really 50% normal volume, whatever that normal volume was for that practice, right? So what, what I've been hearing, much to the surprise of some of our colleagues, is that their revenue per patient is actually higher right now, right? Yeah. And so it potentially, you know, in, in analyzing why that might be, one of the potential reasons could be that we, gee, we just have a few more minutes to spend with each patient and educate them on what they truly need and what may help them. 
there certainly may be the pent up demand, right? The people who need you the most are going to come in the quickest. Uh, but a, an, another uh, potential reason that some came up with was um, because the, um, the the patient that is coming in now wants to really curtail the amount of time they're in your office as well, you know, and they want to make fewer trips to various places, they're going to shop around less um, and going to take the recommendations of the staff members and the doctor more at face value and just say, yes, that's what I want to do, right? And just totally have a, agree. Have a quicker agreement. Yeah. Yep. I think all those points are really valid and um and exactly exactly what what has gone through my head in this. And and then the the question becomes, well, if that's the case, you know, I'm still operating on a schedule of four less patients per day and one less day per week than I was before all of this. And so um so, and I'm, we're experiencing the exact same thing. I think the same, exactly the same thing that you've, you've articulated. And so then the question is, all right, well, how long is that going to last? And if it doesn't, if it doesn't naturally last long, what are the things that I can stop, stop, start, continue to make it continue to last that long? And so like one of the things that I, I thought through is, you know, you start doing the math on, um, on the amount of time that it takes, let's say a patient chooses because they, they finance for financial reasons or whatever, like they just decide they don't want to have contact lenses uh, that we, they buy an annual supply of, but they do want to take your recommendation um, and just do it all in your office while they're there. But then they have, a, you know, what else can we do to lean into? That's why we talked about, you know, yeah. lens fairy, CLX, those sorts of, of things that they can, they can actually use, yeah, so go ahead. Go well, ahead. no, and I would have a question really for Michelle on this because it, it gets back to what do patients want, right? Well, immediately our brains go to um, a, a, a thing that they want now that they didn't want before, but that may actually not be the case. It may be something that they kind of wanted before, but they really want it now. So, so direct delivery, right, might be something that they kind of wanted before, but perhaps they really want now, right? Mm. And if we miss that, we're missing a huge window of opportunity. So Michelle, I don't know what your, your data shows. Kelly, what, what we're showing is, is that about 24% of patients are asking for contact lenses to be delivered to the home. So to your point, this is not new news, but maybe we underestimated or just didn't prioritize practices, just didn't prioritize building that into their processes. I can tell you that when um, offices shut down immediately. One of the things that we spent quite a bit of time on in supporting our customers is helping them get set up with uh, systems that would enable them to get product to the home. We put in a, a direct-to-patient shipping program uh, to help doctors tide them over to get product to their patients quickly for those who didn't have that in place. So again, not new news, but a, a new energy around um, why patients want that. And they always wanted it for convenience, but it's, it's certainly taken on greater significance now. Um, about one in five like curbside. So they want to be able to come and have that safety, but still buy their product from you. Um, so that's important to keep in mind that they're, they still want to be loyal and, and get it from you, but just help me do that in a way that I feel better about. Um, an interesting point um, that I can share too is that 60% expect their deliveries in 10 days or less. And so when we're thinking about how do we build and what do we build and who do we partner with to, to uh, enable all these things to happen, it's helpful to have that 
that in mind is what what does good look like and and maybe we're putting pressure on ourselves to do something that is significantly less or maybe we thought a different timeline was going to be okay so to have that kind of input is helpful I'd, I'd love to comment if I can Chris just on this yeah please start stop continue thing because there's a couple things first of all Perry I agree with everything you said and and it it works in uh, small organizations and the process works in large organizations so I just thought a, a couple points one is um, it's so intuitive it's so easy but it's also really effective and so it, it, I wouldn't let the fact that it seems so simple um, diminish the fact that it can be very, very effective. Um, I really do love the idea that the team gets involved. We all know that when the team gets a, a vote in the outcome that they're more bought in and you, you probably get a better outcome because the people who are um, involved in providing the input actually do the work and they have very good information about how that happens. Um, but the one thing that I love about this process that is not called out in other processes like it is the stop column. It's very easy to get excited about, look what we can do and we, oh, and so-and-so asked for this and what if we do this? And, and that gets a lot of energy. And I, I would guess that the start column has post-it notes all over it. But in order to do all of those things, and Chris, you're leading into it, right? well, maybe we did myopia management, we didn't quite do it the way we wanted, or maybe we initiated something, we got it 80% of the way there. Businesses have to make trade-offs. And so that stop column mm. really helps remind people to say, boy, if I really want to lean into this strength and I want to make this part of my business, or I really want to add something, but I want to do it in a meaningful way, something's got to give. And that stop column is a great way for the team to say, you know what, this isn't serving our needs anymore. It's not serving our needs and it's not serving the needs of our customer. And if we all agree to stop doing that for the reasons that we all agreed were the right reasons, it helps everybody turn and shift their attention and energy to the things that we did agree to, but feel free to, to, to let go of some of those things that would get them, get everybody in the way from being successful. You know, Michelle, I, I love that observation. And just to give a real world example, uh, in our practice, probably 10 years ago, before we had subscription sort of options and those kinds of things, um, we, we made the decision based on some recommendations of our contact lens distributor that they had a really good program for direct to patient delivery. And it made, it was so compelling. It made so much sense that we as a group decided we are going to stop delivery of contact lenses in the office. That, that was the goal, right? And, and, and why was that? So some of that discussion was, well, gee, how disruptive are those calls? We, we, we love to get those replenishment calls, but how much does that kind of gum up the works of our existing patients who we're taking, trying to take good care of then um, boy, it, it, it was sort of disproportionate, right? Those replenishment calls in terms of how disruptive they were to the practice. So that started, and everyone had agreement on that, right? So that was great. So we decided to stop doing that. So what were we going to start doing to get to, our, to that goal, right? And then, so then we had some brainstorms there and, and there were a number of things that we did in terms of having multiple channels of, of ways that patients could communicate with us, right? They, they could let us know they needed new lenses uh, on our website. They could send an email 
to a certain um, inbox. Um, th they could call, but if, you know, our queue system was such that uh, they, they knew they were, you know, third in line to, to have their call taken care of by our sort of call intake switchboard person, then, um, you know, they heard a message that said, if you're calling to replenish contact lenses, know that you can order those on our website or you can leave a voice message um, by pressing five or whatever it might be like you normally would. And that would shoot them into a voicemail box because some people just want to do it verbally. Right. And then, so when that person that who was the switchboard operator got off of all the calls, she would go to the specific inbox, the email address for people who wanted contact lens replenishment. She would go to the voicemail box for the people who wanted contact lens replenishment, right? And so it, it just gave, it, we, we were able to do it and pull it off. In fact, our, our, you know, at our quarterly business reviews with our contact lens um, uh, distributor rep, he, he was just like, you're in, in the consistently in the low 90s with us, percentages of direct to patient delivery. And I said, oh, wow, really? He goes, yeah, how, how are you doing that? I mean, what are you doing, right? And so we went through that process, but it really, it really stemmed from a start, stop, keep sort of process. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. Without a doubt, without a doubt, yep. Yeah, I think, I think two real world examples for us, Perry, I think that you'll find, and I'm sure you've already done this, and Michelle, I'd love your input on it, but for for stopping, you know, in terms of the contact lens delivery, so that's what we're talking about right now, which I think it's a very good concrete way to think through the stop start uh, continue. <clears throat> and um, as one is we looked a, a couple of years ago, we had we, so what we did was we were always if you if you had a year supply, we would we would discount that entire year supply by a specific amount. I believe it was ten percent, and and we were always pretty competitive with like the one eight hundred contacts. Certainly, we were competitive with them after the 10% discount. And so one of the things, though, that we start, decided to stop was we were just noticing, like, it didn't really have any impact on the number of patients, or we didn't think it had much of an impact on the number of patients that actually purchased annual supplies in our practice. And so we just decided, let's stop it, as you suggested, Perry, for a month or two and see what happens. And when we did that, it didn't impact anything at all. We, we um, you know, the, the number of patients that were purchasing annual supplies were the same number of patients that were purchasing with the 10% carrot. It's because they weren't using the carrot to purchase them. And we've done the same thing with like uh, second pair sales. You know, for some reason, our patients um, don't, they're, they're not all that motivated by even a significant dis discount on a second pair. We, we've gone up to 50% and it didn't change any of our second pair sales. So from 25 to 50% didn't have any movement. So we decided to stop that. And so what, and so that worked really well. And one of the things that through this process that we decided to do, Perry, to your point is to start um, for the same price, no added, no added dollars for shipping, no matter how a patient orders their contact lenses through us, they get the contacts shipped directly to them. We will deliver it to them in office if that's what they want, but our, our default is we're shipping it right to you, no charge, we don't care how many boxes you buy, and, and that's been wonderful. Um, so, so I think, uh, anyway, those are kind of two concrete things that have really been practice changers for us, and now we just can compete you know, side by side. Here's what, what 1-800 charges, we, we shop these all the time, here's what we charge, and it's, there's no hidden fees, this is what it is.
and, and one of the examples you gave there, Chris, really illustrates um, an item that you might be thinking would fall right on the uh, start um, stop line, right? Or stop continue line. So you did a test, right? And you know, the, 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 the tech world lives by A-B testing, right? You don't know what the answer is. You don't know what people are going to want, right? So you, you try you know, method A, you try method B, you test it, you look at your data and decide which one you're going to move forward with. We don't do that enough, I believe, in our, in our practices. Um, you know, maybe it's a little too tedious, maybe we don't put someone in charge of it, but you know, so we default to trial and error, right? But, but test and measure is far superior to trial and error. Mm, yeah. We, um, you know, it's, it's this idea of um, testing. We, we talk a lot about it as a test and learn. Um, some people call it a fast fail, right? Let's put it out there, but let's fail fast, not because we want to be unsuccessful, but you learn from what doesn't work. And so the idea of, of putting something out there quickly um, to see what your patients are looking for, what your customers want from you, um, and then adjusting quickly after that is, is very helpful. I think one of the things that makes those uh, test and learns successful is understanding what you're looking for, um, as opposed to just trying something for the sake of trying it. It's trying something with a specific objective in mind. Um, and so, for example, Chris, you know, you, you were really trying to understand, does an annual supply discount drive uptake of annual supplies? Does a discount on the second pair really do that? So you had a specific objective in mind versus I have an idea. And oftentimes these things that we put out there as tests, we're never sure when the test is done. We're never really sure if we were successful. And so these things kind of linger out there is, are we still doing that? Is that still our policy? Do we still like that? And so this, again, this start, stop, continue can force us back to why are we doing what we're doing? So what I would, I completely agree with you, especially now where we have to be so agile, you know, Perry, very early in, in the conversation, you said, well, we've been open for maybe four weeks, maybe it's five weeks, but it's like COVID years, if you've heard this comment. Yeah. So decisions that we would make or decisions that we would be forced to make um, in pre-COVID world where we might take three months or six months to sort that out, we're doing this in, in days, um, weeks at the longest. And so being able to say, okay, what am I measuring? What am I trying to figure out? Um, how will I know if I get there, making the decision, and then moving on to something else? Because at least in today's environment, um, that may only serve us for the next two to three weeks, and that may be okay. I think agility um, is something that is um, very powerful right now, um, and being able to be agile is helpful, but that's not always something it's easier to say than do. And so these these ideas that we're talking about are how can you be more agile? How can you get to decision-making faster? How can the team help you get there? Because ultimately we all want the same thing. Chris, you ended up making a decision that's right for your practice. Um, there will be other practices who say, we can't give up the annual supply. It's very effective for us and they should follow that. Mm -hmm. Overall, I, our, our um, insights tell us that patients want choices. They want choices in how they purchase and they tend to prioritize convenience overpriced. Um, and my unscientific study of one, when I walk through the produce department in my grocery store, you can buy hard-boiled eggs in a six-pack. You can buy pre-chopped almost anything. 
And so while there may be most days where I don't elect to purchase those things, there are some days that I, I just might run in there and grab the watermelon that's already cut up. And so choice matters, but also you know your patients best. So bringing it back to, okay, what's going to work for our practice? How do I figure that out quickly? How do I test it? And then how do I get my staff rallied around it? Well, you yeah. know, T- tying together, Michelle, something you said earlier, and, and Chris, that, that you mentioned, um, is that you know, we need to um, adapt rapidly. Michelle, you mentioned that there was, I believe, 24% of patients who like curbside delivery, right? And they, that want them to home. 24% want their product shipped to home. Okay. Yeah, I well, think it was one in five. I think it was one in five, Perry. Another, another 20% that okay. wanted curbside. curbside. Okay, so, so there you go. So it, that so that twenty percent that wants curbside, we, we might assume that they want curbside because it makes them feel safer that they don't need to come in and they have less exposure. Well, that may just be what triggered them to start doing that and us to start offering that. However, they may be people who like drive-throughs for everything, right? They 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 may just like the the drive-through concept. And and in fact, I have known of some of our colleagues, Chris, you do too. Um, who have offices in, in former fast food or, or f- former bank buildings, right, that they own now, and, and they keep the drive-through. And, and they will use that drive-through actively uh, to deliver contact lens product because that's what those patients expect. Yeah, I think it, I, I, it's, it's absolutely right. And I, I, I really want to hammer home this point, Michelle, because I think it can kind of wrap us up with our conversation today very nicely is, the idea of meeting our patients where they want to be met. And rather than making all of our, our patients conform to how we, you know, we want them to have the experience, um, I, I think that the offices and the practices that are going to be um, really excellent are the ones that in the future are the ones that can deliver that patient experience the way they want it to be delivered. And, and so, you know, it, it makes me think about like different opportunities. So, you know, one opportunity is, Okay, well, you know, maybe my what what Chris Wolf wants to do in his practice with his patients to see the patients that want to see me. Well, it part of making sure that those patients want to see me is if they want to to get everything while they're physically in the in the practice. Well, then they can. Or if they want to um, get some stuff while they're physically in the practice, and then you know get other things delivered to them, or have curbside pickup, or be able to shop my online store, you know that that is going to be i think within that whole realm the link is chris wolf or steve wolf or lindsey barrett or perry lopez or michelle andrews right the link still in all of this whether they want telehealth as an option or don't want telehealth as an option they're all spawning from the original doctor patient relationship which is 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 the pinnacle uh, of what we're trying to of what we're trying to make make accessible to those patients and so, you know, you know, using different technologies, I mean, through this, all this stuff, using different technologies and seizing on those opportunities to integrate those new technologies, I think has been key. And so I guess to wrap all that up, if you think about new technologies you've seen, Michelle and Perry, that can help doctors really lean into them through this time about being able to serve their patients who want the different types of omni-channel experiences that you have to deliver, what are some of the things that come to mind? Well, I mean, certainly, um, you know, you've got to integrate all, all those things, right? Um, you know, whether, whether it is someone who wants to do curbside that we've, 
you know, I just gave you the example. We never offered curbside because curbside is a, is a variant of on-premise delivery, right? And mm-hmm. we, we made that choice. Now, perhaps that wasn't serving needs as well, right? Which is more convenient for them to wait to get it in their mailbox or to drive up because they happen to be near my office anyway, right? We just didn't take that into consideration. Um, you know, for some people, it may be budgeting. So that, that would be a technology on the subscription model, right? That would allow people to budget and get their annual supply, but yet pay for them on an incremental basis without having to pay credit card interest or things like that. So, you know, we could think of the convenience as being just a delivery convenience, but it's certainly, I would not um, uh, ignore fi- financial convenience, mm. right? Absolutely. So whether it be a, a care credit or just simply not even, you know, having to pay any of those types of fees, but, you know, ma- many of our, um, you know, uh, platforms that allow for subscription kind of build in periodic payments with no interest. Well, there's a financial convenience that adds. Michelle, you could maybe explain, uh, you know, your, your company's policy on that. Yeah, so I was, I was going to, um, I'll, I'll come back to that period in a second when I, um, you may need to edit this, Chris, but, um, <laughs> you know, when I think about technology and all of it, I, I, I always want to start first with um, just patient communication. Um, one of the things that um, typically happens in a crisis is that um, people are all trying to take care of themselves. And what does this mean to me? And, and, and at the same time that we were all trying to figure out what we were going to do within our own organizations, we had patients and customers looking for what were, what were we going to do to help them. And so what I would say is, is let's not forget about focusing on the communication for our customers um, because they um, may have a point of view about why they're not reaching out to us or that we're too busy or that we're not open or we're busy with things. Everyone's trying to be do the right thing. And, and making sure that we're staying in touch with our customers and understanding what they want to know about us and hear about us um, is really, really important. I think. Um, and there's great tools for that. Sorry to inter- interject, but you know, there's great tools for that. Things like demand force and I care prime and solution reach that you, pr- you may or may not be using that often. Correct. Correct. And we have, you know, we have our Nexus prime ways to stay in touch with patients and get your communication out there so that they know you're open, that they know what you're doing about keeping them safe, that they know what you've put in place with regard to shipping or curbside delivery or payment options, all of these things that we're talking about that you're working so hard behind the scenes mm. teams to put in place, um, our, the customers need to know that, that those are put in place. So I would say is let's not forget that as a, as a technology to make sure that we're staying in touch with all of the other things that are happening in the practice. Um, from an implementation standpoint, certainly e-commerce um, has to be an important point part of how practices go forward. I don't see that changing. I certainly see variability within practice, uh, but not having a way to get product to your patients in a way that they want to receive it um, is probably no longer an option. I think this this crisis probably uh, confirmed that even more. In fact, when offices first closed. Um, a lot of doctors were letting us know that thank you for helping us set that up in the past because um, for many practices, it was their contact lens revenue that was providing significant financial support to their practice because they had set up, uh, set their patients up in an annuity model that where mm-hmm. the were coming back and the ordering was happening there. 
Um, certainly we have, um, you know, we have lens care, we have ways to do that, but I think the most important thing is protect your practice and, and choose a program that works for you and we're happy to help you with what we have, um, but not having it probably isn't great um, to go forward. And then I think the telehealth thing, I mean, everything that we're talking about here and wrapping this up with the, the whole focus on doctor-patient relationship, it's so critical now more than ever. It is the doctors that know their patients, that know what they need, they can focus in. You've got that long history with them. Um, you know which one that you can extend a month here or get them in right away and help them prioritize. Um, and and I, see, I see a great emergence in telehealth coming out of this. Again, another um, technology that people perhaps were dabbling in or hesitant about. Um, we have great data that say this is going to stick. Um, and whether or not people choose to invest heavily or invest um, less so, the idea that there is a place to connect with our patients um, virtually, online, um, before they come in the office, perhaps instead of them coming into the office, there's great value there. And we support any technology and initiatives that keep the doctor and patient connected together to keep those two parties working collaboratively collaboratively to make sure that the patient outcomes are where everybody wants them to be. You know, Michelle, you said something that really struck with me is that it's one thing to do all these great new things and offer all these things. It's another thing to make your patients aware that you're doing all these things, right? Uh, if they don't, if we don't tell them, they don't know. And so that is what we call internal marketing. And I will say any business article that I've read about the reboot, rethink, and, re and reinvent, it really, on the marketing side, it's all about we should be internal marketing like crazy right now, right? And so if we're making some of these changes so nimbly, day by day, week by week, you know, perhaps we just need to keep informing our patients and at the same time engaging our patients, hoping that they still are our patients, um, mm. to let them know what we're doing, right? Because if, if Silence is not golden in this regard. It's, it's really not. And, and um, that is something that is important in times of stress and in times of challenge is that lines of communication stay open. And it's very easy for them not to, not because you intended not to do it, but because there's so much. Um, and you're trying to figure it all out. And the next thing you know, you forgot, you forgot to tell people. So um, I think what I'm hearing over the last you know, six, seven, eight weeks is people are working really hard and doing some really incredible things. And so anything we can do to make sure that our customers and our patients know that, um, but also things like this, Chris and Perry, where we can tell each other about it and share and just be that reminder of um, everyone's doing great. And I think we're going to come out of this um, very well. Um, and all the things that we're doing matter. And let's just make sure that we continue to share so that everybody gets the full advantage of it and our practices, all your practices and our, our organizations continue to thrive. Uh, thank you. You know what? I did want to leave one little tidbit or resource for folks uh, on the podcast, and that is um, an organization, business consulting organization that I st just stumbled upon with a Google search. It's called Science of People. And if you Google science of people, start, stop, continue, it'll take you to a page, uh, a blog page that uh, says, um, you know, why start, stop, continue is my favorite team building exercise. And there's a nice seven, eight minute video that goes through the nuts and bolts of how to carry on one of these sessions for yourself. 
Awesome. Thanks, Perry. I'll actually yeah. include that in the show notes as well. Thank oh, you. Great. Yeah. Sure. Thanks for thanks for mentioning that. Well, um, Michelle, Perry, thank you so much for being on today. I really appreciate it. It was a ton of fun. A lot of fun. Thank you, Chris. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Perry. Thank you, Michelle. Great seeing you.